This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patek, alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting. And it is another great day to talk a little college football recruiting. Five-star Ryan Wingo, he's coming off the board later today, 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Central. That will be on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We'll talk about that and we got a lot more to get to, but Drew... It seems like you are the, uh, what, the good luck charm for the Florida Panthers last night? I saw the, the win over the Sharks. Here's the other thing. You didn't tell me that the Sharks haven't won a game this year, so it must have been uh, pretty easy living last night, huh? It was, man, but it was a late night. Like, the game didn't start till 8, you know, got home late, had to take care of the dog. It's kind of dogging this morning. Slow start to the uh, – to the Wednesday. All right, well, let's ramp it up a little bit. And, and the best way to do that, little espresso shot on the show. we got to bring in our 24-7 sports director of research, Ryan McGrady. Time for the McNuggies, if we want to call it that. But random college football player of the day. This one, i got to admit, pretty random coming for our boy, Andrew Ivins. McGrady, what we got? Well, Andrew knows they got a big game with Florida <laughs> and Georgia coming up this weekend. So let's go with the legend in that series, tight end Ben Troop from the uh, University of Florida. He went to Butler High School in Augusta, Georgia. Played for Steve Spurrier and Ron Zuck at Florida from 2000 through 2003. Had 64 career receptions for 958 yards and seven TD catches. He was the team captain his senior year, first team All-SEC, Mackey Awards finalist as a senior. And he caught the game-winning 10-yard touchdown from Rex Grossman in the opening drive of the fourth quarter in the Gators' 20-13 to win over undefeated number five, Georgia, back in 20, uh, 2002. Uh, Second-round pick, 40th overall by Tennessee, played five years in the NFL, and now he's a motivational speaker, author, philanthropist, and ESPN radio host. How about Ben Troop, man? What a career there. Drew, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of a, a, a trend from us 90s babies. Ben Troop played <laughs> 2000 to 2003. Al Roberson is who we highlighted yesterday. Before that, Greg Paulus. What, what made you think of Ben Troop out of all the players out there? Why was it Ben Troop this week? The Florida-Georgia game, he had that big catch. I remember that from my youth. And anytime he caught a pass, the whole stands would go, <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys. And then he was like the Kyle Pitts before the Kyle Pitts, like this weapon of a tight end. And I searched on YouTube for some highlights. Cooper, Ryan, do you guys remember when the SEC was on Jefferson Pilot? Uh, that brought some throwbacks. Forget, man. I remember <laughs> being, I was so upset. LSU fan. I don't know how old I was. Bluegrass Miracle, LSU. Everybody thought was going to lose that game. Marcus Randall to Debrie Henderson, 75-yard touchdown. JP Pilot, right? That was the one that carried that game. I was under my parents' bed. I was so upset. Hey, young Coop, man, just a very passionate guy. Ryan McGrady, thank you very much. And guys, just a reminder, you are watching the 24-7 Sports College Football recruiting podcast on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You can also check us out on Spotify and Apple 
if you're going to listen to the audio version of us every Tuesday, Wednesday, 5 o'clock Eastern time. All right, Drew, interesting article came out from our guy Garrett Callahan on the news desk at 24-7 Sports yesterday, breaking down the top 100 players from the class of 2023 per 24-7 Sports. I texted you, we started having the conversation, and now we're about almost uh, a little past the halfway point of the 2023 season. It was pretty interesting to get some feedback on some guys that you thought would be playing more and maybe some guys that you didn't think would be seeing the field as much as they did. You and I are going to go three for three. Drew, I'm going to let you start. Who do you got first? Well, I love the idea of this story, and I wish he had gone all the way through the top 247, but I'm assuming that would have taken some uh, some manpower and a lot of clicks and a lot of punching of the keyboard. Um, at the top of the list for me, and this is one I texted you right away, by Joe. He's played 11 snaps for Michigan State so far this season. They all came in one game against Washington. And for those not familiar with By Joe, this is a kid that moved to the United States when he was 18 years old from Senegal. He was on my freaks list. He initially had the aspirations to make the NBA um, and was a basketball player, found the game of football. Michigan State goes and beats out Alabama, Oklahoma. Vanderbilt was in there early. Um, and he was awesome. I think he was one of the biggest surprises at the All-American Bowl. 122-inch broad jump, um, you know, exceptional frame. You saw the twitch, and we were impressed with just how confident he was in that type of setting. This is a guy that doesn't really know football, and he was barking in the faces of offensive linemen. So to me, when I see by Joe and we look at Michigan State, which is in a complete disarray right now, how is this guy not seeing the field? Because if he isn't, I think he's going to be a name that plenty of schools are going to circle as a potential transfer portal target. Hey, come here and we'll get you on the field. Now, I'll add this, Cooper. I did do some research. Job was listed as, quote unquote, out for the Michigan game. So he might be dealing with an injury. But still, I mean, 11 snaps for a team um, that doesn't have much going for them. A bit surprising to me. He would be a prime, you know, like poaching candidate. And, and you know, I referred to it yesterday. Those conversations between teams and potential prospects that they have identified already before the transfer portal has even opened up in December, those conversations are happening right now. And Ooh. I think this article is pretty timely, right? Because guys like By Joe, who we had as a top 10 pass rusher in the country, one, Drew, that's a premium position. Two, he's coming out of Oklahoma, right? Ge geography kind of plays a part in this as well. But I'm glad you started with him. He seems like kind of like the low-hanging fruit. And then you toss in the Mel Tucker situation. These are the type of guys that I think right now their phone is probably ringing off the hook. A Michigan State's captain has already announced that he's going to be in the transfer portal. I mean, it's open season on that roster with no certainty as to who's going to be leading the Spartans in 2024. Uh, I would think whoever steps in, like by Job, is one of the first meetings they're going to have. And to speak to your point about schools figuring out potential transfer portal target lists, in the past 24 hours I've had texts from personnel guys, hey, do you know any quarterbacks entering the portal? Hey, we're looking for a defensive tackle. Any names you're hearing? Um, so, yeah, those – those feelers are, are going out, and they have been for a few weeks now. Those whispers certainly getting louder. Drew, I'm going to go with another pass rush. I'm going to go with Keon Keeley, one of the top-ranked players in the country, the number one defender in the country per 24-7 sports, and a guy that we loved. And when you study Keon Keeley, 
This is a guy that just checked every single box, had a huge week in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl. He has played zero snaps. Big old goose egg, Keon Keeley, a guy who had 16 and a half sacks as a junior, showed up on the national stage after a nationally televised game against the number one player in the country in Arch Manning, in which Keon Keeley dominated. Drew, you put it into context a little bit. Alabama, right? They know a, a thing or two about defense. And you look at the guys ahead of them, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, arguably one of the best pair of pass rushers on the same team in the country. You got Deontay Lawson, Jahad Campbell, who we talked a little bit about yesterday. The other thing is, is this a Keon Keeley thing or is this just an Alabama thing, right? You look at Yonze Pierre, another five-star pass rusher who signed with Alabama last year, zero snaps. Quay Russo, another guy that we had in the top 64, uh, technically a, a second round type of projection for us, zero snaps, right? The only guy from that group who has played up front has been James Smith. And I think if you would have asked both of us who would have been the guy to, to play the least amount of snaps out of that group, it probably would have been James Smith. So a little bit of a surprise there, but I think this is more about Alabama being in a really good position at the outside linebacker Jack position. And Keon Keeley is just going to have to wait his turn like a lot of very good and productive pass rushers that have come before him. So this one right here, I'm not as panicked on. few thoughts. Uh, first thing, does this speak to Caleb Downs, you know, just how insane of an individual he is that he is essentially this cheat code of a safety on Alabama's defense? The second thing, Cooper – I think when we evaluated and when we ranked Keon Keeley, we said we viewed him as more of a traditional kind of even front uh, pass rusher, right? And he is now working in that 3-4 jack outside linebacker role. If you if you go and you read um, what Nick Saban said back during the preseason camp, there is a bit of a learning curve. And I think the other thing with Keon Keeley is he did not enroll early, right? So he didn't get that six-month uh, jump start those 15 spring practices. I'm not hitting panic on this at all with Keon Keeley. It's certainly notable that he has not played any snaps, but Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, I mean, those are two guys um, that the folks in Tuscaloosa have long been high on, and we're seeing him uh, have a huge impact here in 2023. Uh, no, no panic on Keon Keeley. I expect him to have a huge year, make a big leap in 2024. Drew, your next guy, pretty crazy stat here has the second most snaps of any player in Texas's secondary. He is yet to start a game. That is former four-star, top 247 defender Malik Muhammad. Yeah, I went back, and Malik Muhammad is a guy that was on my dream team from the OT7 finals. So people not familiar with that, it was it's kind of turned into the opening finals, right? It's a invite-only seven-on-seven tournament. They've done it two years in a row. First year was out in Las Vegas, then we had it this past year. Uh, in Los Angeles, it's a lot of top skill players. And Malik Mohammed made it two years ago out there. I thought he was the best corner for the South Florida Express. I know he's from Texas. Uh, don't ask me about it. Uh, but he was, that was notable because he was playing on the same team as uh, Cormani McLean, our number one ranked corner. Fast forward to the Under Armour All-America game. And I went back and, and pulled up some of the stories I wrote coming out of that week. And one of the one of the big takeaways is like, where are the cornerbacks? You know, it didn't feel like any of these perimeter defenders, I kind of separated themselves from the rest of the group, right? Cormani was dealing with an injury. I thought Des Ricks was fine. And in hindsight, I think looking back on it now, my favorite guy of the week was probably Malik Muhammad. And I think with Malik, you know, there wasn't a ton of fresh testing data. He wasn't a track kid. You know, he transferred high schools before 
his senior season. So it was a difficult evaluation uh, in, in terms of just the data points and the exposure points. But every time I saw him, he performed well. Now, I am a bit surprised that of all the top 100 corners, he has gotten the most snaps. Uh, but the eyes don't lie sometimes. And I thought he stepped up in, in notable moments. He was over six foot. I think 76-inch wingspan, he checks off a lot of the right boxes. Well, you think about it too, right? Not just Malik Muhammad, but think about what Texas did in that 2023 cycle on the defensive side of the ball. Anthony Hill has been a huge contributor, really kind of changed the outcome of that game against Alabama. The other guy who's had a step up since the Oklahoma game, Derek Williams, right? Played a lot of snaps for Texas as well. Drew, this is the first one where we've gone the opposite way, right? Where the guy has maybe played a little bit more than – what we thought and Malik Muhammad you think about that why has this guy played so much or why is he prepared to play over 240 snaps as a true freshman you think about Malik Muhammad you go back to high school three-phase player played multiple positions in the secondary high football IQ did a little bit of everything showed out in the postseason All-American Bowl right it was checkbox after checkbox after checkbox those are the guys who end up playing not to mention the special teams contribution as well I don't think that's a coincidence, right? If you're looking for a pattern in the guys that are seeing snaps early, look at Malik Muhammad. I don't think you have to look any further than that. Drew, what a surprise. My next one, another pass rusher, right? LSU, Deshaun Womack, the former five-star, 44 snaps on defense. He's got 137 snaps on the year and 94 on special teams. And I, I kind of dug into this one a little bit because you look at LSU's defensive line outside of Mason Smith, Makai Wingo, two interior defenders. You're like, okay, where's their pass rush coming from? A lot of talk about how Harold Perkins is being used in Matt House's system. Deshaun Womack, to me, I thought would have been a guy that could play pretty early for LSU. And he's gotten some run. He's played in three games uh, and, and had flashes at point. At points, Drew, this is the one I look at, and I'm like, okay, Deshaun Womack in the void of a defensive line coach at LSU right now, I think that's really kind of showing up. Jimmy Lindsey, who they hired from South Carolina, dealing with a health issue. He has been out this entire season. So LSU's really kind of had to backfill that by committee. They bring in Pete Jenkins as a consultant. He's been helping with that group, and that group has played better over the last two weeks. I went back and I looked at the Missouri game for Deshaun Womack. I think he got anywhere from 14 to 15 snaps in that game. This is a guy right now that you can tell is in need of a secondary pass rush move. He's going out there trying to win with his athleticism, his speed, his power, the same way that he did in St. Francis and Baltimore. That's not the same game they're playing in the SEC. So I think this is a guy, he needs more reps. I think he can help you situationally. But once you kind of look under the hood a little bit, I think it makes sense that he's not getting as much run as I thought he would. But I expect to see him more in the second half of the season. I was going to say, is this a Deshaun Womack problem or is this an LSU problem, right? Is he is he getting the coaching that he needs? Obviously, an unfortunate situation there. I said it a few weeks ago on this podcast. Hey, if I'm an LSU fan, the name I have circled for that potential opening, Jason Taylor. We just saw uh, Reuben Bain, what he was able to do for Miami against Clemson. Like, I'm not trying to connect the two dots, but I think if you had to make a defensive line hot board, I always love those, right? Not the head coach hot boards, the position coach hot boards, those those can get a little interesting. I would think Jason Taylor's name would be on there. But not only Deshaun, what about Quincy Wiggins, right? You know, he was a, a top two, four, seven for us, guy for us in his second year. His snap counts on the on the lower side as well. So that when I see Deshaun Womack's number, I think more, hey, is this LSU's problem or is this the players, you know, not getting the job done? And 
And Coop, didn't most of those Deshaun Womack snaps come against Army? Like a, a good chunk of them, correct? I don't think he actually played them. I think he played in, in cleanup duty. That was a shutout for LSU. That game was well in control yeah. in the first half, 38 nothing at halftime. I think the, the majority of his snaps over the last couple of weeks came against that game against Missouri. I think LSU wanted to know and see what they had in Deshaun Womack. I don't think he's there yet. I think it's a little bit of a perfect storm for Deshaun Womack. I'm not putting it on the player, right? I think this is uh, a culmination of LSU being in an unfortunate circumstance. And Drew, I think LSU knows that they got to get the point of attack right. And, and they got to get back to who they are, who they have been in the past. I would guarantee you that whoever they hire next is going to be top five paid at that position for a defensive line coach in the country. Jason Taylor seems to be the name that we have circled. Obviously, his son plays there as well. I think that'd be a great fit. We'll see other names out there as well. All right, Drew, sticking on the point of attack, offensive lineman Roe Freeling, a guy that we really liked a lot, was in consideration for a fifth star late in the process, 196 snaps on the year for the University of Georgia, stepped in for an injured uh, Xavier Truss. Could see him this week uh, with Amarius Mims still battling an injury as well, right? So big spot. I think the game against Vandy was a little bit of a mixed bag and what we saw in limited time. But in terms of like the physical traits, what this guy will be in a year or two down the line, Drew, he's got all the physical clay. I think this is kind of just more learning on the job for him right now. Well, I wrote this one down because I want our viewers and listeners, right? I think everyone's going to be watching Florida, Georgia on Saturday or will be on one of those screens. And it seems like Monroe could start. And I don't know if that's the best spot, but it's certainly uh, promising, encouraging, whatever you, word you want to use, that he is essentially, you know, the, the sixth lineman for the Bulldogs. And Coop, do you remember when we were at the All-American Bowl? Uh, waiting for an Uber, and Monroe Freeland came out of the lobby with like three pizza boxes. I mean, he's just a a unit, and he's got a yoga background. Mom was a yoga instructor. He um, does yoga himself, and I, I believe un, some of the biggest arm and, and hand measurements we've ever had in All-American Bowl check-in history. I mean, not surprising that they're trying to get him involved, but I do – I didn't expect him to be in the mix year one. Injury is forcing him into it. And I'm excited to see what he could potentially do the rest of the season if he has to make a start uh, in the SEC. Potential big opportunity for Monroe Freeling against Florida rivalry game in Jacksonville this weekend. We'll see if he gets the nod there. All right, Drew, my last one. Five-star receiver, Jurion Dickey. 11 snaps on the season. Both those, uh, all of those snaps came from Portland State or Hawaii, right? So this is a guy who's really not seen the field much. Drew, this one's a little bit of a shocker to me. I thought he was one of the most day one ready guys at the next level uh, that we evaluated at the receiver position. You dig in a little bit more, didn't enroll early. This is a guy that got to fall camp late. And you think about Jury and Dickey, the 11 snaps and who he's playing behind. Troy Franklin's had a heck of a year. Tess Johnson as well, the transfer, Treshawn Holden, and then the USC transfer, Gary Bryant. That being said, this was one of those guys that I thought similar to some of the other guys that we've talked about, Hakeem Williams really kind of coming on in the second half of the season. You find a way to get involved in your offense, but if you look at Oregon, what they've been able to do on the offensive side of the ball under Will Stein. They were one of the most productive offenses in the country, very prolific in the passing game as well. There really hasn't been a need to get Jurion Dickey involved. And 
you see the number 99 right there. I think Jurion Dickey is a little bit of a different cat, right? So I think he's been in his playbook. He's trying to learn. They're taking his time with him. But this would be one of those guys I'm interested to see, like Jurion Dickey's expectations versus reality halfway through the season. You wonder, do they have to get this guy involved? Or is this a guy that is saying, hey, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Do I need to look somewhere else in December? I'm kind of paying attention to see what happens with him the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I don't know how I want to phrase this, but Jurian's a guy I was around at a few different seven-on-seven seven tournaments, and your, your calling of him being a different cat is absolutely real. I mean, he's like a guy that I think might love fishing more so than he does football. Um, and we also got to bring up Cooper. You know, he dealt with a ton of different injuries throughout his high school career. I think he had maybe two knee surgeries, uh, just like with Keon Keeley, not enrolling early. I mean, that kind of sets you back a little bit, or it, it certainly doesn't put you ahead of the rest of your class. And then three transfer wide receivers come in. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to unseat those guys, given how many collegiate snaps they've already played. And the expectations they have when they're coming in. Yes, you want to create competition, but if you're going to go out and bring a Power 5 transfer in, they're expecting to play. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this on, on Jurian Dickey. You know, peek at Oregon's 2024 commit list. I don't think there's another receiver that the Ducks have committed right now where I'm like, okay, this guy's going to come in and certainly unseat wherever Jurian Dickey is uh, on the depth chart. So I think the spring and the upcoming season are going to answer a lot of questions on Durian Dickey. I mean, he's not the only one, right? Like with the Keon Keeley context, it's important to bring Yonze Pierre and Quay Russo. I mean, you think about Oregon as well. It's, you got another guy in, in Kyle Casper at this point. He's been there for two years, reclassified. He was in the article uh, that you touched on yesterday when you brought that up. And then uh, another one, Ashton Kozar, right? These guys aren't getting a lot of run. So it is a, a little bit circumstantial. The other thing is, Oregon's in really good hands at the receiver position. Junior Adams had Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, all at Washington. Puka Nakua, we know what he's doing in the NFL. So sometimes patience is a good thing, even though the expectation for guys like Jurion Dickey is really high. So there you have it. Top 100 players per 24-7 sports in 2023. Their snap counts drew great dialogue there. Now... It's time to talk some quarterbacks and the guys at the top of the list in 2023. Everybody's favorite talking point. Arch Manning, Nico Imailieva. Drew only 16 snaps between the two of them. Ryan McGrady. I mean, do you have any context here before Drew and I just kind of start, you know, throwing out wild, uh, I don't know, ideas for the second half of the season and why these guys should be on the field? Yeah, no need to panic yet if you're a true freshman quarterback. There's only been 11 that have started a game this year. You have guys like Emory Williams who had the big upset over Clemson last year to be the first true freshman quarterback to defeat Clemson since 2010. You have Dante Moore started five games. He's 3-2. and Jaden Rashada started week one as a true freshman. He started the first two games of the year for Arizona State before he got injured. But for Arch and Nico, they're just waiting their time and getting their reps with the second team and hoping, hoping to get on the field in their true freshman year. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. 
The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. All right, Drew, I, I was thinking how we kind of approach this segment, and I guess you can make the case for and the case against playing a young quarterback, especially with these two who have the expectations that they do. So let's start with Nico at number two. I would make the case for, right? I think over the last week we've been talking about, all right, how, how, what's the pathway forward for a guy like Nico? You look at where Tennessee is in the season, disappointing loss against Florida earlier in the year. Right, and then a loss against Alabama where you're up by 13 points at half. Here's what's left on the schedule. The final five games for Tennessee, they go to Lexington this week, going to be a tough matchup. UConn at home, and then at Missouri, Georgia at home, Vandy at home. Right, So they got some tough sledding. I don't think any of these are gimmies really outside of UConn. Here's kind of where I, I, I sit on this. If they lose this week in Lexington – I think you got to reevaluate going into that UConn week and try to find a way to get Nico some run. I think this guy is immensely talented. But the other part of this, Drew, is a big picture of what do we have going into next year, right? And what do we need to do? If Nico is not ready, that might mean he needs another year. And then you got to go back into the market and maybe try to find a band aid for a year. So I think Tennessee's got an opportunity. Here's the thing Nico didn't play a ton of ball in high school. Right. This wasn't a guy that played over 30 or or, or 35 games or anything like that. I think these reps are valuable for him. I also think that he is dynamic enough of a player that these will serve him well in the future. And I think he can come in and contribute. You think about Tennessee, Drew. How about this? When you think about a Josh Heupel offense, 75th in passing offense, no 300 yard passing games this season. Right. I also think that, hey, it just might be the time to make a change, but I'm going to wait and see what happens after Kentucky, then I would reassess. So he's appeared in two games, right? That's what he's got, two games? UVA and and I believe Texas San Antonio. We might might need uh, some McNuggies on that, but yes. I I think a key reminder here is the new redshirt rule, which isn't redshirt anymore. I mean, you can appear – in four games and maintain that red shirt. I probably wouldn't be thinking about that with Nico uh, digging into all this Cooper. You know, I think just Josh Heupel's system is hard to learn, right? I think this is kind of a, a personnel thing for the volunteers. Yes. Joe Milton. Uh, what has he had over a 300 yard passing performance? I mean, I think they are missing Jalen Hyatt. My idea for Nico would to, be bring him in in certain packages and take advantage of him as a runner, as a senior in 11 games, ran for 399 yards, six touchdowns. This was a kid that was on my freaks list. I mean, he is six foot five. He is wiry. He's explosive. He could have played college volleyball if he wanted to. I mean, the volleyball clips, if you've never seen him of Nico as an outside hitter, I'm getting more and more into volleyball in my household. I mean, they are, they're pretty impressive. Uh, so we saw Joel Milton against Alabama. I think it was 15 runs most of the season. A majority of those were design runs. Josh Heupel, after the game, said, hey, that's helping us out with our spacing, opening some things up for us. So why not utilize Nico in certain packages like that? Get his feet wet and allow him and, and work him in. And then let's also talk about bowl season, right? Remember last year? how many guys opted out, how many young guys were just thrown into action. When we watched bowl games, it was like an exhibition, right? 
It was guys that were, hey, I'm off to the NFL. It was guys that, hey, I'm, I'm going to the transfer portal. And then there was a bunch of young guys who were like, well, I want tape so I can go in the transfer portal. I mean, we don't know where Tennessee is going to be in December or January, but do you want to save one of those four games and just let him go at that point? I think that's certainly a possibility as well. And, and then the final thing, I think it's hard for young guys to play in that Josh Heupel offense. I mean, you said Nico 16 snaps, right? Uh, Cam Selden has six offensive snaps. He was a top 247 recruit for us. Ethan Davis, the tight end, one of my favorite guys they signed in the 2023 cycle. He's been dealing with some injuries. He's played five offensive snaps. The year before that, they only had two guys play over 150 offensive snaps as freshmen. I think the timing, um, the concepts in that offense are, are, are hard, and it takes some time to get adjusted and, and to be able to play with some confidence. I do think he is built for that offense. You know, there's so many variables here, right, for Josh Heupel to consider. You got to consider the short term, right? Our team's still in it. We're five and two. We got a lot of meat left on the bone, some big matchups coming up. Missouri's a good team. You got Georgia at home, right? So there's a lot to balance there, but long term as well, there's a lot invested in Nico, both on the field, off the field. You got to take that into consideration. And then I think the noise outside the building with the people who might be involved in that investment, they're probably growing a little bit louder and louder. And you want to see what you have, right? So, Ryan McGrady, I think you got some uh, some more McNuggies on Nico as well. Yeah, looking at Nico this year, he's played in two games. Week one against uh, University of Virginia, he went two of three for 11 yards. And then he got in the game in week four against UTSA. He went 0 for 2 in that game. So 2 for 5 for 11 yards this year. I think the cat is special, Drew. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I do think that's not an easy offense for a young quarterback to step into. And this is a guy that I wouldn't call him raw, right? But there's a lot of developmental upside. I think the reps are really important. Regardless of whether or not he's going to be your starter going forward for the remainder of the season, that's a different conversation than getting this guy maybe one or two drives a game to start building his confidence and seeing some of the things that you need to work on from a live rep standpoint. Drew, the other guy that went back and forth with Nico last year was Arch Manning, right? And now we're in this situation. Quinn Ewers banged up against Houston. You got Malik Murphy, who was another highly touted guy in the 2022 cycle, had a really productive spring. That was the guy who got the call when Quinn Ewers went down against Houston in the second half of that game. Malik Murphy, Arch Manning, splitting reps. As of today, it seems like Malik Murphy's going to get the nod this upcoming weekend. Drew, for Arch Manning, I think this is a little bit different of a situation because of where Texas is sitting, right? I mean, this is a team still well within the reach of a college football playoff appearance. And is Arch Manning ready for that opportunity? I, for one, am really glad that he's in a situation that he has gotten to sit this year. And if there is an opportunity to play, that it's coming at this point in the season. I would not be surprised in a similar way that we have talked about Nico that Arches will get maybe one or two drives. But I think it, it is fully dependent on what you get back from Malik Murphy. And everything we've heard about Malik Murphy is that Texas is really encouraged about where he is in his development. And I think it fully depends over the next couple of weeks. You got BYU at home, Kansas State at home, Kansas State playing great ball at TCU, at Iowa State. Both those teams have been down this year. And then Texas Tech, who's been down as well. So I think it's more called on if needed instead of, hey, let's throw this guy in there. I would agree. I I think the, the, my takeaway from Sark's comments is like, how did he build one of the top quarterback rooms in terms of depth in all of college football? By coming out and saying, if we played today, Malik would start the game, but Arch would be ready to go. 
and then telling reporters that Arch is also getting first-team reps. He is dangling the fruit in front of Arch Manning, motivating him, also motivating Malik Murphy. I mean, it's kind of an art what he's been able to do in terms of getting all these guys to, I don't know, believe in that they have a chance. Me personally, I would – you know, I, I would only get Arch in there if it was, you know, mop-up duty. I, I think Malik Murphy is going to be your guy. And we touched on it at the beginning of the show, you know, teams circling transfer portal targets. You don't think Malik Murphy, you know, if Arch Manning was to, to come in and take over from Malik Murphy, you don't think Malik Murphy's going to bounce. You don't think that there's a Power 5 program with college football playoff aspirations that are – aligned as you like to say nil wise that would be ready to make a move i would roll with malik murphy you know if we see arch you're up big in the fourth quarter awesome but i would keep my eye on the prize no no need to get creative here i mean what a hypothetical situation to just speculate on imagine malik murphy comes in over the next couple weeks until quinn ewers gets healthy and plays lights out right i mean what does that do to the speculation in the offseason out of all the guys that we would have thought, is Arch Manning the odd man out, or is it Malik Murphy? How does that look? Is Quinn Ewers off to the NFL, or is he coming back with another opportunity to improve his draft stock? And it's like, if Quinn Ewers is healthy, he's probably out, right? But now you throw in this wrinkle, and it's like, who knows? Maybe he's coming back for another year. There's so many different ways this Texas quarterback room can go. I mean, how much money did Malik Murphy make himself for that performance in the spring game? That was like the talk of the spring. <laughs> now, now imagine if he goes and lights it up and on an actual college football Saturday. Well, um, it, it'll be it'll make for some fun December off-season fodder. He'll be getting paid either way, either by Texas or somebody else, right? So he's in a very advantageous situation, I would say, over the next couple of weeks and uh, got an opportunity to make some bread. Guys, just a reminder, you are watching the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You can also check us out on Apple and Spotify. All right, Drew, big commitment coming up this afternoon, 5 o'clock Eastern, on that same 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You can check it out there. Ryan Wingo, number two receiver in the country, number five player. Drew, it looks like this is coming down to Texas and Missouri. And 100% of the crystal ball, as we uh, film and record this show today, is currently on Mizzou. Our director of recruiting came out earlier in the day, and it seems like Texas is picking up some steam. Drew, you talked about dangling the fruit. If I'm Ryan Wingo, man, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, leaking one of these reports every hour, driving that price up and see what happens, right? We talked yesterday on the Cover 3 podcast with Bud Elliott. You can check that out on the Cover 3 YouTube page as well about Ryan Wingo, where he might end up. Drew, let's start with Missouri. I mean, just in your mind, I guess we can start from 30,000 feet. We'll get into the player a little bit later. But what would this mean to Mizzou and Eli Drinkwitz, who on the recruiting trail, they're starting to pick up some steam. They got the number one defense alignment in the country with Williams Winery, but also at the same time, they got one loss on the season to a, uh, to a pretty dangerous LSU team. So Missouri's sitting in the best place on the field they have been in a while and potentially off the field as well. Well, it would give them two five-star prospects. That's more than LSU, Auburn, and Ole Miss, and just as much as Tennessee and Alabama. I don't think I would have ever said that sentence. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy to think about, and I think this would be the peak of Missouri recruiting. And, Cooper, I said this on the Cover 3 podcast. We also need to bring up that the Show Me State has some of the most progressive NIL laws in place, like – 
I don't know if it's ever going to get better than this because they have two legitimate top 32 talents and they would have both of them committed in Ryan Wingo and Williams in Winery. Uh, I, I think if you're Missouri, you would expect Ryan Wingo to come in uh, and be another Luther burden. And what's also wild to think about is if Ryan Wingo were to pick Missouri, he'd only be the third highest ranked uh, wide receiver signee for the Tigers because you have Luther Burden ahead of him and then uh, Doriel Green Beckham ahead of him. So it would be quite the statement. I think uh, my, my, my spinning it forward, what's next? Can Missouri, you know, go get some five stars outside of, you know, their backyard? I would start to wonder about that because – we don't know what the season's going to look like, how they're going to finish. They, they, Like you noted, only one loss. Um, I just think it would be kind of the best recruiting class ever, and I don't know if they'd ever be able to top it. Well, I think it's smart. you got to start small if you're Missouri, right? Start in your own backyard, build from there, and then you got to win some games as well, which to their credit, they've done that. We talked about it yesterday. I think Luther Burden has played a huge part in this. Him and Ryan Wingo are very close off the field as well, but you consider the fact that Luther Burden was kind of the first guy in the, in, the, in the trailblazer to stay home, right? And now you see a guy that more than likely is going to be a first-round draft pick at the next level. It kind of gives Ryan Wingo a path forward. Drew, on the other side, is Texas, right, who's getting ready to join the same conference in the SEC in 2024. So you think about this a little bit, and you wonder if Texas is saying, you know what, maybe we just stake our claim here and say, you're going to have to come through us for some of the best playmakers in the country. We talked about Arch Manning. We talked about Malik Murphy. They got a really good offensive line as well. It's a pretty interesting dynamic here. Here's the other thing, right? Xavier Worthy, probably gone next season. Same with A.D. AD Mitchell, Jatavion Sanders. That's a loaded and very veteran group. Isaiah Nayer, one of those guys you can throw in there too. Outside of that, Jonte Cook, right? A, a lot of confidence in him moving forward. DeAndre Moore, and then if you throw in a Ryan Wingo, then you got your nucleus. You're feeling good about that. But Texas got a, a lot on the way out in terms of their production on the perimeter. Well, Ryan Wingo for them would be the first 2024 offensive commit where it would really get me excited and the juices flowing. Now, I like Jarrett Gibson, who they have committed. I think Jordan Washington, the tight end. I, I see the uh, idea and thought process with him. But this class, they've got a five-star on defense and Colin Simmons, but I think it's lacking the star power on the offensive side of the ball. Ryan Wingo absolutely changes that. And then you look, you're pairing him with Jonte Cook, who I think is, I always say it, he's got rubber bands for knees. I think he's your slot option. DeAndre Moore, um, the future of the wide receiver room, it's like building a basketball team. I think Ryan Wingo could be that perimeter outside target. And I know you wanted to talk about the player. I was trying to find... A, a comp, a clean comp for Ryan Wingo. I couldn't really, really find one. I can't settle on a guy, but he does remind me a little bit of Calvin Ridley when he was at Alabama. Calvin Ridley, a lot of catch and run. Put on Ryan Wingo's highlights, it's a lot of catch and run. He's this big target, but he's shifty and elusive with the football in his hands. And when Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator at Alabama back in 2016, guess who led the team in receptions that year? It was Calvin Ridley. So, I, I could see him slotting in perfectly, and I just like the diversity they would have with that wide receiver room. Yeah, the, the name that kind of came up for me, ironically, was Luther Burden, right? And Luther Burden, <laughs> there's three inches in terms of the difference, in terms of the height between Ryan Wingo and Luther Burden. Luther Burden's at 5'11", but he's 200 pounds plus, right? A big part of his game coming out out of East St. Louis 
was the physicality, but it was also the run after catch, super dynamic in terms of that part of his game. The other thing about Luther Burden that I like, Missouri's ability to use him in different parts of the field, especially out of the slot, has kind of added a nice wrinkle for them. I think Ryan Wingo can give you the same thing. Drew, I don't think there is a clean comp for them, right? I mean, he's 6'2", he's 205, he's got a 10-5-5 to his name as well. He's super dynamic. His best football is all ahead of him, right? The player development part for him is going to be really important. A couple names that came up, we love A.J. Brown. Jurion Dickey was the same type of comp there uh, as well. Traylon Burks, another guy. I don't think that's a clean comp, but when you think about receivers over 210 pounds plus, that's a really limited field that you really get to choose from. So Ryan Wingo, super dynamic guy. And uh, he was on the my freaks list for here for 2024 or 2023. I, I don't know what year we're in. Um, but our buddies at Tracking Football, and I don't think we've discussed them much on the podcast, Tracking Football, right? You know, they take into account uh, the track data, the sizes, the positions, and they produce a PAI score, right? 5.0 is perfect. Uh, not Luther Burden, excuse me. Ryan Wingo is 5.0, and that's because he went 10.5 at the Kansas Relays at 205 pounds. Like, we always throw out these track data and, and whatnot from a scouting perspective, right? Someone over 200 pounds moving that fast is very, very rare. Ryan McGrady, the Nostradamus, believe we have some, uh, some McNuggies on Ryan Wingo. Yeah, Ryan Wingo would be a big get for either Missouri or Texas, especially for Missouri. It would be their third five-star commit since 2012. You mentioned, uh, Andrew, earlier, Doriel Green back in, back in 2012, the second-ranked overall player in the country, and number one wide receiver committed them in 2012, and Williams- uh, Winnery here in 2024. So it would give Missouri a big boost in their rankings. They'd move up to 30th in the 2024 rankings if he commits there. And we give Missouri two five-star commits and two top five overall players in the same class for the first time. But if he chooses Texas, he would move Texas from 16th to 13th in the rankings. And he would be the sixth five-star commit for Sark in the last two cycles. Literally a needle mover. That's what we would call him. Doriel Green Beckham. I mean, what a blast from the past. Where'd he go? Second round Philadelphia Eagles. Is that right? No yes, Shadamas? Right. Is that right? <laughs> we need, we need a fact check. Right. Yeah, we can come back. <laughs> we can come back to that. All right, Drew, let's get out of here on uh, a preview of the 2025 running back, Justin Baker, out of Buford High School in Georgia. And this guy, it seems, Tennessee, the leader in the clubhouse. He's got a decision coming tonight. South Carolina also in there as well. He has visited unofficially both of those programs this year. Three-star running back we have is a 87 overall, 5'9.5", 205 pounds. Drew, what do you like about him? Well, he backed up Justice Haynes last season at Buford High School, and it's not surprising he didn't get a ton of ton of carries when you're working behind one of our favorite running backs and a guy that is now playing for Nick Saban. Uh, I got a chance to see Justin Baker as a freshman at the FBU Freshman All-American game two years ago, was at Buford's opener against St. Francis Academy. I mean, he's under 5'10", but he is rocked up, rock rocked up. Um, I, I, I think Tennessee, you know, I, I can see him fitting in that offense. He reminds me a lot of current uh, Vols running back Jabari Small. You know, he's kind of a one-cut-and-go runner, uh, has some burst, you know, physical, hard to get on the ground. I think he's going to potentially offer three-down capability at the next level in terms of the ability to pass pro and then leak out of the backfield and, and catch some passes. Has done that a little bit at Buford and if Tennessee were to get them or were to get Justin Baker it just continues their momentum in the peach state that would be the third 
commitment from Georgia in the 2025 cycle. Uh, they got four of them in the 2024 cycle. That includes Mike Matthews. And then in 2023, they took six kids out of the state of Georgia. So uh, I've been noticing that as a trend ever since Josh Heupel has got there to Tennessee. You know, they've put a priority on really the Atlanta Metro, uh, and they're finding some success there. Yeah, they've been doing some work there in the Peach State. Drew, this is kind of one of those like sneaky pickups, right? In, in 2025 class, an 11-1 guy in the 100 meter, 2022-8 in the 200. In terms of the production, uh, I think the context is there, right? Backing up Justice Haynes, like you said, one of our favorites uh, last year. But this is one of those guys, you turn on the tape, fits the mold of a Buford running back, right? Physically rocked up. I think he could get on the field early for Tennessee, does a lot, uh, and has three-down capability as well. Ryan McGrady, I'm going to bring you back just for one second. Did we get a fact check on the uh, Doriel Green-Beckham? We did. He was drafted uh, in the second round, 40th overall in 2015 by the Tennessee Titans. And uh, just like our guy, our random guy of the day, Ben Troop, he was the 40th pick, second round uh for tennessee back in his day so still trap over here right? I, I knew it was the second round i got the team wrong but that's all right that's why we got mcnuggies on there any other uh patag flags on the day or, or a clean game from the boys only patag flag is no mention of Rutgers. i know your guy lance glenn oh would be God. mad if we didn't mention this week Rutgers full eligible six plus wins for the first time since 2014. He must have texted you on the side because there's no way that we were actually going to allow that. Yep. So we got the Rutgers shout out for the first time in a while. I thought I was living a dream. We haven't <laughs> talked about Rutgers in two weeks. All right, guys, for our 24-7 sports director of scouting and our director of research, Andrew Rivens and Ryan McGrady, I'm Cooper Patagna. We will see you recruiting nerds next week.